When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest Love Tennis podcast. I am George Belshaw from metro.co.uk. Soon enough, I will have Calvin Betton and James Gray from the I joining me. Hope you're all very well in these lockdown times. I'm certainly missing some recreational tennis. Hello, James. I'm not missing any recreational tennis because I don't play enough as it is. I've, I've played... As much in 2021 as I did in January 2020. So, uh, in that sense, um, I, yeah. If, if there were more indoor courts in South Oxfordshire, then then maybe I would have ended up playing a bit more last year. But there aren't, because... I, I'm just about to attempt a, a dangerous manoeuvre, by the way. I've, um, every week, my house is really funny. This is a pretty bad story, but I'm just going to say anyway. My house is pretty... <laughs> I'm in like the furthest room away from the Wi-Fi port. So one of my lo- lockdown gifts to myself was to buy like one of those extender things or little. Yeah. Um, but the extender thing doesn't reach the living room. So every time I go into the living room, the Wi-Fi stops working. So I've obviously just been sat there watching an episode of The Wire come in here and now I'm on the wrong Wi-Fi on my phone. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt to flick them and hope it doesn't just all go wrong. But That's very exciting. Um, I'll fill in the meantime, because I also have Wi-Fi related stories, because I have learned since moving in with my mum that Wi-Fi goes through ceilings very easily. It does not go through walls very easily. So I have had to spend time. And the good thing is, if you have a Mac laptop, you can track the exact level of Wi-Fi signal in your house just by clicking Alt and clicking the Wi-Fi thing. So I just go around the house moving inch by inch and like mapping every room and be like, hmm, if I'm in the middle of this room, I'm getting 65. But if I move two feet left, I'm getting 54. I'll put the extender here. Honestly, I mean, there must be so many people who've done this in their home offices. You you need to come around to my house with your tracker. My my thing is... (laughs) My thing is, I have to have the door open. Like, yeah. it just it hates going through doors. Um, yeah, 
Anyway, we should probably move on to tennis, not Wi-Fi. Great tech chat, lads. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love we'll, we'll tech podcast. <laughs> well, no, so seriously, on a practical note, because I do try to offer advice where I can, if you've got a housemate with a MacBook, George, all they have to do is, you've got it, okay, if yeah. you click Alt, if you hold down Alt and click the Wi-Fi symbol, you'll then get a whole list of stats on your Wi-Fi, oh. and the, sign- the RSSI is the number that tells you how much signal you're getting on your Wi-Fi. What's that number, George? Minus 30. That's very good. That's incredibly good. Are you next to the extender? Yeah, yeah. So I've put the router in my room. Yeah. If you, if you look up, if you look, at, you look it up, it'll say minus 30. You might actually be inside your router. Um, all right. We've, this, that's, that's good to know. If we haven't lost everyone already, uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about some tennis. I love this. It's like the first podcast in about a month we've actually had actual tennis to talk about and we've decided <laughs> not to. Um, just killed five <laughs> minutes that we actually need for once. Yeah. Well, the problem is, George, and I think uh, we'll, all, we'll all agree on this, is that mm-hmm. there's too much tennis. After all this time without tennis, there's entirely too much. I was watching three matches at once as I went to sleep last night, um, which I actually really enjoyed. And then I woke up and watched two matches at once this morning, um, which, again, I, I, Francis TFO may also have been watching a different match because he, he didn't seem very engaged. Uh, but there was so much going on. Um, the various different tournaments in Melbourne have started. The Yarra Valley Classic, the Jippies Land Open. The, I mean, I'm not going to name them all because I can't. The Murray, there's a Murray something or other. Yeah, uh, that, those two, the Yarra Valley and what's the other one? Gliss or something. Yeah, I, had to look them up. Yeah. I had to look them up about 10 times, rechecking who people who were in the draws earlier. Why aren't they just called like Melbourne 1, Melbourne 2 or something? It's, well, so, it's, too, it's too confusing. Like, I think, it's I think just ridiculous. If, if they were just called Melbourne 1, Melbourne 2, etc., I think we would have the same conversation, but the other way around. Like, I think they're pretty damned if they do and damned if they don't. I, I think I, the I, one thing to take away from it all is that this cannot be a long-term solution. Like, I, I don't know about you, Calvin, but I'm getting sensory overload. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I found yesterday. I've just, I've no, I, enjoy, I watched a bit last night, but I've no idea who's playing in which tournament or anything. <laughs> no. I mean, they're at the same venue. I don't know how you decided which one to enter. Like, yeah, that's a was, good question. Because you normally judge on like which 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 city you like, what courts you like, that type of thing, but. How would you determine between one or the other, or did they just randomly put them in different tournaments? If the WTA or the ATP had any sense, they would have said, look, just put your name down and we'll split the seeds up. You know, we'll split the top 40 players up. Because otherwise you could end up with like one massively stacked tournament and one, you know, absolute muncher, which hasn't happened, frankly. I also have a bit of an issue with how they've done it in terms of that you can only play these ones if you're involved in the Australian Open from from a ranking point of view mm. in that you've got players who wouldn't be getting in um, to 50s or that type of thing, but they are getting in if they've made the Australian Open. But somebody who lost, say, in qualities of the Australian Open can't play in it who's ranked above them. I, I think I've got sort of major issues with that. Just pure, Obviously, I understand the reasons why. Mm. But it seems, for example, we'll, we'll go on to it in a minute, and this is nothing against her, but, but Katie Bolter, for example, has got in direct to... She's, a, she's, she's in the Australian Open on a protected ranking, 
Yeah. She wouldn't have got in to one of these tournaments without a protected ranking, but because of this, she has got in because she's involved in the Australian Open. Mm. But whereas somebody who's ranked 380 in the world, which she normally is, would not be anywhere close to that level of tournament. And, yeah, and she's, she's, already reaped, she's already reaped the benefits as well, of course, because with that one win yeah. she's had, and it could it could well be two by the time this actually goes out tomorrow, but that one win's taken her up 30 places in the rankings or something. So, yeah, well, that's a pretty free win. Yeah, I mean, I mean she'd have been in it. She, she, sorry, James. She would have been in it. She would have used one of her protected ranking. I'm only using her as an example. But I, I don't like this rule that you can only play these ones if you're involved in a different tournament. It does feel... I mean, look, the thing to say about this is it's the whole thing is a means to an end. And I, I don't know if, if ever in the last two weeks anybody said, oh, maybe this is how we should always do it. You know, instead of having extended runs in countries, we should have a condensed week before, loads of tournaments, a bit of festival of tennis. I mean, I was going to say it feels like Glastonbury, but with the number of empty seats, it really doesn't. Um, but I think it, the very first day, and all of these problems, problems might be a bit um, ungenerous, but I think we've already realised that this is not this is not a good way to run things. The the empty seats is a really interesting thing as well. I, I'm I'm going to be intrigued to see how the ATP Cup looks later in the week, for example, because I I looked at some of the pictures from uh, Serena Williams's match. I can't believe she's ever had a less attended professional match since she was well, I don't 14? know, possibly possibly ever. I mean, like yeah. it, it's, it was unbelievable, and you know, there, there's been a lot of talk about they're struggling to sell tickets and they're putting these tickets down very, very low prices because they can't shift it. I'm not just, I'm not sure at the minute whether, you know, Australian fans are a bit like, okay, I'm going to wait and pick the bigger in inverted performance event. So, well, it's one to keep an eye out for the ATP Cup, but let's hope it's not a precursor for the Australian Open because we were all quite excited about how many fans there were having seen that Adelaide exhibition last week. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, there's some mitigating factors that are uh, thanks to Alison Mitchell on Twitter, the commentator. I think she, she's down in Australia at the moment um, working, I'm assuming, on the tennis. But I think she may have just gone down there for the whole winter to work on the cricket as well. And she pointed out quite rightly that um, the schools are back now in Australia, whereas usually the Australian Open is a big part and then the run up to it is a big part of school holidays. So that makes a massive difference. People are back to work as well. Um, so, yeah, people aren't on holiday, which is a, a big issue. But also, no, there's a difference. Yeah, exactly. But also, um, you know, usually schedules around tournaments are very, very tailored. And, you know, on one day you've got three or four people who sell tickets and then you've got the rest. This is how tennis always has been. <laughs> when you've got this many tournaments going on at the same time, you've got too many good matches and not enough kind of cohesion or ability to sell tickets by saying come this day this person's playing come this day this person's playing i think the atp cup will sell better i you know famous last words because in two hours time i might be proved wrong but <laughs> it has names that they can sell on if you know what i mean and that that's what tennis always has to do yeah but that, i think that's a fair point but i mean still i i would say like the numbers we're talking about even with those mitigating factors, someone like Serena, you know, that schedule's out a day before, mm. you know, I, people can get days off. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, I'm surprised it was that low, let's put it that way. Like, you know, that looked to me like everyone in the ground would have gone to watch Serena and you're still 
barely getting to triple figures. I mean, that that's low. Like there, there was no bigger attraction than hers a day. Yeah, I, th- I still think that I th- it comes back to the argument again as to how many people want to watch it. And I can't imagine still even considering all what we've said that if Roger Federer was there, that that stadium would not have been at maximum capacity for what they could have got in. And I think that's just a power. That, that's a broader problem is just is tennis lacking stars at the minute. And it's something that they have to address, I think. I think there's a... I had this conversation, actually. I was um, interviewed Patrick Muratoglu on Saturday. Serena Williams' coach for a long time. Um, also worked with Stefan Tsitsipas, runs a couple of tennis centres and has been very outspoken um, on the subject of tennis marketing as a whole. And I, I said to him, look, there are a lot of superstars. Oh, sorry, there are a few superstars in the men's game and then a big drop off to what you might call the rest. And the women's game, there's kind of Serena and then this this big kind of huge field of maybe 15 women who are kind of superstars in their own country, maybe. But not Osaka, probably the difference now. I mean, so in terms of this money, is, at least. Yeah, and he, he kind of pointed out that Naomi Osaka has... I mean, she, uh, last year, earned more money than any woman sports person ever. Yeah. She, and that was in a year when there wasn't tennis for four months of it. Like, she and, is and, huge. And she's signed about five big new deals since that. I mean, that I think she's going to absolutely decimate that record next year. Yeah, um, I see she's been signed up by Workday, who are a tech solutions company that no one really knows what they do, except they give me my pay slips sometimes. Um, <laughs> she's got a deal with a watch company. I think it's Tag Hero off the top of my head. She's doing the spring-summer Jean-Paul Gaultier shoot, I think. Um, and she's also got a whole heap. I mean, just about any Japanese sportswear company worth its salt seems to sponsor Naomi Osaka as well. Yeah, yeah she, she's Nike now as well, rather than Adidas, as she was 18 months ago. And did a big splash in the Telegraph this weekend, like a big takeover and stuff. You know, she's being well run on that side of things um, and, mm-hmm. and still playing good tennis. But, yeah. you know, she's becoming a superstar machine, let's put it that way. She's certainly a different kettle of fish to the rest of the minute, I would say. But what's interesting about that is that she's not a natural. She, she's quite an introverted, generally shy person. I, I think, without wanting to be cynical about it, and Calvin, I know you have a lot of contacts in this world, and you may disagree, but she's kind of the perfect storm because she uh, represents and stands up and, and has stood up for the black community in the US, for example, with her social activism in, uh, in the, at the US Open. She is half Japanese, so kind of connects with that market very well. She's female, which has another a whole different market to it. So I kind of feel like she she's just a perfect storm of, of, of something for marketers to bounce off. And I don't want that to sound patronising and say that she hasn't done anything to deserve it. But I do feel like, her, you know, an agent must have looked at her four years ago and gone, this is a real opportunity. Yeah, well, I, I know they were for definite looking at it that way through just through the, the contacts that I have in, in that world. That is it. And, and more than anything, like all those things that you've just said, it is a perfect storm. She's got the Asian side, the Asian market, but she's also just nice. That's mm. the thing. When she gives her interviews, even from from when she first broke through, I think, did she win something big before the US Open that year? Did she win one she of the, won, the Masters? She won Miami, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, one Miami and the interview she gave, it, it, it was sort of very in, innocent and she was a bit starstruck, but she just came across as likable. She's nice and likable. Um, and that that's one of the things I think that 
that it's just the icing on the cake. Mm. It's amazing how quickly as well, uh, maybe it wasn't always the case 10, 15, 30 years ago, but now it seems like that process from nobody to somebody is so expedited because, I mean, I know she was involved with IMG from quite a young age, I think, um, because she trained at the academy in Florida. And, and, you know, so she's kind of been in the system, uh, for want of a better phrase. But it's amazing how quickly someone can go from being someone who's basically unrepresented to, to being an international superstar. Yeah, and, yeah. The, and, and there's a positive trend in terms of sports marketing as well, where athletes are now being encouraged to kind of build their profile wider in terms of like speaking out on issues. Um, there's been a few pieces about like Marcus Rashford being heavily encouraged by Jay-Z's agency, Rock, Rock Nation, Rock Nation yeah. um, to do that sort of thing. Um, and obviously, you know, as you say, some people will look at it cynically being like, oh, they're just doing it to make money. But the, at the end of the day, the, it's actually way better to have these athletes feeling confident to speak about these issues. And at the same time, it does give athletes who are going to transcend their sports. Do you know what I mean? Like, like Marcus Rashford, as much as I like him, isn't like as good as Lionel Messi at the minute, but he's transcending his sport by his activities off the pitch. And that's a, a good thing because he's a good person and he's got like, you know, it makes them more rounded and gives them more opportunities to kind of promote good messages, which I think is a good thing. I guess the important thing is not to stray into virtue signaling. Um, Well, actually, no, sorry. You can virtue signal all you want, but you've kind of got to walk the walk as well. And that's what's really important to say about someone like Marcus Rashford um, is that he not only has talked the talk, but he has made a genuine, palpable difference to people's lives. And I think, you know, there's a lot of kind of side of the politic that says, I can't believe all these sports stars sit in their ivory towers and, you know, tell us we should all be better people and do this and do that. But if they then back it up with, you know, appreciable, demonstrable action, it makes a huge difference. And they've got to be confident enough to say it first and then to do it. Yeah, and and in fairness to Osaka on that point, you know, if you think about that tournament that was before the US Open, um, excuse me, Cincinnati, you know, New York too or whatever, you know, she got them to stop playing on that day. She got the um, you know, with all the kind of Black Lives Matters protests, um, yeah. she she got them to call off playing that day. Uh, she wore all those masks every day with bearing victims' names on stuff. You know, she um, and she said she won that tournament for it. You know, that sort of thing inspired her to be better on the court because she didn't want this kind of thing being like, okay, she's distracted off the course by these other issues. She really wanted to win for that reason. So, in terms of trying to promote good things actually helping her tennis as well that that's a, another great combination that could see her hit all sorts of heights mm, yeah she's, she's a really exciting and important person to have kind of as part of the tennis scene and, and to come back to what we were saying is they need a couple more you know someone like Simona Halep is a superstar on the court but doesn't seem to have that that image on a on a international basis and I, I don't know why I know she's huge in Romania. Huge in Romania, yeah. yeah but, so. but, you know, with, with the greatest of respect, Romania ain't the world. Yeah. Um, Toto Goff, the other one, isn't it? I mean, hopefully, she, yeah. She's, she's the one who's made a lot of noise. If you think about, considering she's 16 and only just cracked the top 50, if you ask most people, I reckon, in this country to name, those people who can name 10 
female tennis players, I, I imagine what, she's probably one of them now, which is quite a yes, quite a yeah. big leap early on. I mean, un- unfortunately, I think that probably Nick Kyrgios might be one of them as well, like, no, undeservedly. But, but that's yeah, what I mean, yeah. you know, the kind of star power that comes with it, considering yeah. she's 16. You know, even Kyrgios has been close to the top 10 and made a Grand Slam quarterfinal, as much oh, well, as Calvin I, loves to call him a part-time. Calvin, but... <laughs> Calvin about Nick Kyrgios' ability all day. And yes, especially... yes, he's made a Grand Slam quarterfinal <laughs> we, 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 in, we in an eight-year tennis career. Wind you up. <laughs> uh, let, let's move on before Calvin explodes very early for that. Um, Osaka has been in action on the court this week as well. Uh, she was up in Adelaide uh, with the other top three players in the world and Irina Camillo Begu. Um, who I believe was there as Simona Hallett's hitting partner, so she had a bonus set with Venus Williams. Um, but this, there was this uh, a day at the drive, they called it. Uh, there were fans, they were drinking, there was handshakes. There, there were all these things that kind of we've forgotten existed in the tennis world. There was also some actual tennis, uh, which was occasionally serious. Um, I watched some of the uh, Simona Hallett Ash Barty match, and that was a, a decent hit. Um, Djokovic pulled out of the first set of his match. <laughs> I just just talk I'm gonna talk through the timeline of this, right? So Novak Djokovic is due to play uh Dominic team uh, Dominic team um uh Yannick Sinner. Uh and he is spotted in the morning in Adelaide out and about. He's in the park doing photos of people. He was uh kicking an Aussie football around, you know, just enjoying being out and about rather than trapped in his hotel balcony. And, uh, yes, great, excellent. And then, imagine you've bought a ticket. George, what are you doing to your microphone? Are you just just deliberately record-scratching it? This is lovely. Thank you very much. Apologies to listeners for Mr. Belfield's inability to keep quiet during a key monologue. Uh, So, imagine you've bought a ticket for a day at the drive in Adelaide, right? Like, the biggest tennis players in the world, and you're finally getting the chance to watch them. And then, 30 minutes before the start of the first match, a guy comes over the Tannoy and tells you that Filip Krajinovic is going to be filling in for Novak Djokovic. I mean, talk about understudy. It doesn't even really cover it, does it? And then, 40 minutes in, Djokovic appears... Now, far be it from me to suggest that he might have been quite relishing the idea of turning up halfway through the match as a conquering hero. But he did, to be fair, uh, have some pretty hefty blisters on his hand, which he says he was getting treatment for. um, And he was going through a certain amount of pain and didn't want to risk things so close to the Australian Open. Um, Calvin, you've probably got the most experience of tennis-related blisters. George's got lots of blisters on his hands, but for very different reasons. Um, can you perhaps shed a bit of light on, you know, I don't know if you've seen the photo of this big round blister on the kind of the pad of his thumb, basically. This is a thing that happens to tennis players, presumably. It's a strange one because it it did look pretty bad. Um, The thing with blisters is tennis players who've been playing a fair bit, they wouldn't normally get them unless they've played an extremely long match that they weren't expecting to play, but your hand are normally calloused to the extent where you wouldn't get them. You'd normally get, you, you could get them on your feet if you're wearing a new pair of shoes, that kind of thing. And you're playing for longer than you expect. But it was it, it very strange that he got them on his hands because I imagine he's been hitting a fair bit. So 
I, I don't really see how that came across, but it definitely did. I'm not suggesting it didn't. It's just very strange, and I can't see how you could have predicted it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's. I think I read from his quotes afterwards that he was saying that he'd kind of stopped doing any tennis stuff during a lot of this quarantine and, like, purely gone out to work on his fitness, um, which sounded quite an odd plan to me if that was the case and that was the excuse that, you know, given he had his practicing rights every day to go out and do that. So that, that didn't really wash with me, but um, that does sort of back up what you're saying about maybe stopping playing and then suddenly having a problem starting again. Well, I think um, I, I was reading from a, a couple of good people on Twitter suggesting that they had been through similar kind of blister problems. And I think probably what will be really interesting is to see what, what this match tonight, and which will already have happened if you're listening to this back on the podcast, he's playing Denis Shapovalov in the ATP Cup, to see what kind of shape his hand is in, whether he straps it up fully, whether he pulls out half an hour before, because they won't let Filip Krenovic fill in for this one. Um, partly because he's not actually the Serbian number two, is he? It's Dudan Lejovic. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of shape uh, that's in. The good news is if you've got tickets for the ATP Cup uh, tonight, uh, you'll get Novak no matter what, because Denis Novak's playing Fabio Fanini, uh, which is obviously a, a better match anyway. Um, there'll be no shortage of drama, I would have thought. Um, I kind of wanted to touch on, on the ATP Cup stuff because it it's such a great tournament, or at least it was, um, it's team tennis. It's obviously kind of the first big deal. We don't really know what the atmosphere is going to be like, but it, it, the lineup, in theory, uh, should be terrific, shouldn't it, George? I mean, it should be a very decent week of tennis. Yeah, I mean, obviously, last year was quite skewed given by what happened. But yeah, ATP finals aside, I'd probably argue the ATP Cup was the strongest week of tennis of the whole year. Um, mm. you know, brought, and as you say, the, the good thing about it is it's, and, and as is the, the same with the ACP finals in theory, although it hasn't always turned out that way in recent years, but by putting yeah. the strongest players guaranteed to play each other, you are going to create higher quality of matches, plus chucking in the best thing about the Davis Cup, which in theory is, you know, fans who are partisan towards the country. It should create a good atmosphere as well. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good formula for good tennis and a good watch but as we say we don't know how many people are going to turn up hopefully a lot hopefully my concerns were short-lived uh, by a couple of hours but I, I think the tennis should be pretty good either way mm. and these team tennis I, I've spoken to because they did a lot of the press junkets for the documentary about the Davis Cup finals last year I've spoken to lots of people about team tennis and I know there are some people for whom it it's a massive motivator we've seen it with Kyrgios um, I know Evo saying that he, Dan Evans was saying that he really enjoys that idea. Calvin, do you think it, do you think it makes much of a difference or, or are they those kind of players, the exceptions that prove the rule when it comes to team tennis? You look lost. Calvin's lost. I think we've lost Calvin in, in high school. <laughs> All right, George, um, you're, you're someone who plays a lot of team tennis and bangs yeah. about it all the time. Yeah. Does it yeah, make a difference? Crowd. I knew you were going to ask him the question, so I, I wasn't really paying attention to what the question was. Oh, great, saying. excellent. <laughs> That's what I really like about you, George. Huge professional. Um, team tennis, do people get up for it more than they do for singles, or are there just a couple of people who get a real hard on for it? Um, I think they do get up for it. You know, I think in my 
experience going and covering these events you know I, I remember one that always sticks out for me is the um the davis cup in madrid with the serbian team when they lost in the quarterfinals and the you know the the press conference after they lost was like they'd um gone to a wake or something i mean they were in tears they were so upset i think it was because tip sarovich was um retiring but mm. you know the, that felt like a very unforced kind of unity about these teams. I think they do genuinely get up for it. As you say, some some players like Akirios, um, you know, I think for them it, it's easier to play for someone else rather than yourself. I think when you play for yourself and lose, that's quite a disappointing feeling. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's It's easier to kind of say, oh, I don't really care. It doesn't really matter to me. I'm not trying. That's why I'm losing rather than be like I want to play because I want to win and if I lose that that hurts a lot more but when you're doing it for your teammates it's a bit more of a kind of free thing you really want to do that and Kyrgios when he is applied is such a such a talented player as much as Calvin hates him Um, (laughs) it it, it can bring great things out of him Um, so yeah I I think it does give a little bit of an extra percentage on it but um, yeah let's see if Calvin can is he back? I don't know. We might have Calvin back. I've got a special request for a, a Calvin Kyrgios around. Mitchell Furman um, is saying that he'd like to hear Calvin's point. Um, I think we might have lost him in, in hyperspace for a bit, uh, but maybe Yorkshire <laughs> internet is going to hold up. I, I, I think I can speak for him uh, when I say absolutely nothing because he's going to speak for himself. What was the question? Sorry, I'm back. <laughs> I, I, I want you to explain that you don't actually hate Nick Kyrgios. Mitchell, Mitchell Furman um, in the chat, uh, who's a first-time listener, I think, is making the point that Kyrgios is pretty transparent about who he is. How would you respond to that? Yeah, um, he, he is. There's no doubt about that. I don't. My issue was, I guess, my issue is a bit with him, but more with other people who keep talking about how talented he is. And it's kind of died down in the last year. But there was, I used to have this debate with other tennis coaches where they'd say he definitely would win a Grand Slam. And I was always adamant that he wouldn't win a Grand Slam. And, and for all his talent as well, even taking away the fact that he never plays tennis, um, for all his talent, he has the lowest percentage of points won on return of serve in the top 150. Or he did until last year. I've not checked it recently. Now, that, that isn't a talented player. It's somebody who serves exceptionally well and has, <laughs> and has moments of brilliance in other shots. But in the, the worst in the top 150. And he's not been in the second week of a slam for five years. That, that, that's, that's, that's my position on it. I agree with you. And he always still gets brought up. And, you know, George and I have both had this experience with editors where you know, in planning meetings or, you know, just in conversation, they'll, they'll ask about Federer, they'll ask about Nadal, they'll ask about Djokovic, and then it's probably Kyrgios. I remember yeah. in particular my tabloid editor, who I won't name, uh, but he does now work for an extremely big bookmaker doing their banter, uh, for want of a better <laughs> word. And he pretty much only wrote about Nick Kyrgios when he was writing about tennis. And, uh, you know, he, for want of a better word, he pushes the needle. Um, so, so there you go. He uh, he doesn't. <laughs> but also, also James is an, another thing is that the sort of the way he's. It's all right saying that he's transparent about who he is, but we're talking about a marketing problem in tennis 
that type of thing. And no doubt he does add certain elements of that and certain aspects. But at the same time, he, he tanks a lot of matches. People are paying money to go and watch him play tennis. And he doesn't try a lot of the time. And that I can't imagine that that's great for the brand of tennis in any aspect. No, you're right. And you can hear it often. You know, I mean, I've watched the YouTube clips of him tanking enough to know that most of the time when he does it, you've got people in the crowd going, oh, c- come on, Nick, please. Like, you yeah. know, I, I'm, I'm here on like the third court at this tournament to watch you. I could have gone and watched some demonstrably better players on the bigger court, but I'm here to watch you. You know, like at Wimbledon, where he always... What is it? Is it, uh, like, 17 he always plays on at Wimbledon? I think he um, likes two now, doesn't he? Is it two? Okay, two's the one at the far end, isn't it? Uh, or no, it's three. It's three, three. It's three is three. That's the one. I mean, three, yeah. not two. Yeah, uh, which, to be fair, is also my favourite court. So that's probably the only court. thing Nick Kyrgios and I have in common. Uh, let's let's move on. because Yeah, I don't know how we got on to Kyrgios. That was on the schedule. We're well, you know, you know what we're doing, George? We're responding to what the listeners want. So Mitchell Furman... Can, can I just uh, go... James, can I just... <laughs> there, just, uh, just, just one little bit on Kyrgios, which I found interesting, and it's sort of a purpose of nothing. I was on a... On a um, a coaching webinar earlier on, they were talking about serving um, serving stats and the best servers in the world um, for last year or for the last twelve months of, of full tennis. So I guess two thousand and nineteen. And what was interesting was that Kyrgios was, I think, he was five or six in that in terms of um, first serves in and first serve points won. But he was well below the other top ten. I think he was a good sort of five or six percent below the other top ten in second serves won. So it sort of suggested that he's got a huge first serve, but compared to the other best servers in the world, who were, were quite surprising, some of them. Raonic is apparently the best server in the world. Right. Um, and I think isn't a second, then Apelka, then Federer. Nadal, I think, is five or six. But well, all these been... guys... Go on, yeah, sorry. The, no, the Nadal thing, I think it was two years ago, he just came out. Maybe, yeah, two years ago, he came out having, I mean, just rebuilt, not rebuilt, but remodeled yeah. his serve a bit. And it was demonstrably, and it was clearly something he felt was a leak. And he was, I mean, you know, he came I, I, I guess it's a bit of a caveat with him and Federer and, and Djokovic to a degree in that they're just better than everybody. So they'll they'll have better <laughs> stats than everybody on all stats, if yeah. you will. They're, they're going to. So, but what I just found that interesting about Kyrgios, that all the other big servers, I think they average about, they're getting about 80% won on first serves and they were all around about sort of 59, 60% on second serves. And he was 50% on second serves, second serve points won. So if he misses his first serve, it's basically a coin toss, whether he wins on the second serve point. Hmm. So, yeah, okay. I just found that interesting. That is interesting. I mean, because we always say, you know, he's got, I've heard you say he's got one of the top five serves possibly of all time. Yeah. Maybe we have to kind of revise that and say he's got one of the top five first serves. First serves, absolutely, yeah. yeah. That would be quite fun, actually, to, to kind of on the other side of the coin to look at who's got the best second serve ever. Uh, maybe that'll be one for, for a quiet week when there aren't 400 <laughs> test matches. Pat Rafter. Pat Rafter had a phenomenal kick serve. Wow, okay. There you go. Oh, I'll have to come up with some someone to challenge that. Uh, let's move on to someone a bit more deserving of, of chat about their tennis. Uh, Serena Williams, although frankly, you know, also not made the second week of a Grand Slam for a while, right? No, no, maybe not. She's slightly more successful. <laughs> Just the US Open. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm obviously joking. I know Serena Williams is quite successful for the last 20 years. Um, but she's also kind of been talking this week about 
how it's not necessarily been plain sailing um, over the last month or two. George, I know you wrote something um, talking about her Achilles. Is that right? Yeah, so it's just quite an interesting little nugget. Um, obviously played her first match of the season, um, looked pretty comfortable against Gavrilova. And she was just asked about her preparation generally. And she said, I, I probably wouldn't have made it to the Australian Open had it not been delayed, um, which probably like, what was it? I think the Australian Open was meant to finish on the 31st of January. So that was Sunday, wasn't so three, it? So it was a three-week delay. Three-week delay. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, she said she got a decent block and she said she's going to be as ready as she can be, but said she would have liked more time. And, it, you know, that's pretty pretty worrying for Serena, really, given mm. you'd think right now with her being 39, she needs everything to go right to win a Grand Slam. To know she's coming into a tournament where three weeks earlier she wasn't ready because of her Achilles, you know, I don't think that bodes particularly well because that's likely to get worn down over three weeks of tennis, I'd have said. Uh, yeah, I would, I would agree with you uh, if it were anyone else. But Serena Williams, <laughs> she, won this, she won the Australian Open while like seven weeks pregnant. Like, you know, I've got two sisters who uh, have been through three and a half pregnancies between them. I, my other sister, my sister is currently halfway through her second pregnancy. And like... Seven weeks pregnant is not. It's I don't spend time with them when they're seven weeks pregnant. Like, it's, <laughs> like it's not a good time to be hanging around with people generally. So if she can win a Grand Slam in her first trimester, I, I, I think as long as she's still got an Achilles, um, she, she, she'll be fine. <laughs> but the, no, the, I'm, I'm I'm sort of joking, but I'm also not. Yeah, I think the, the question with her now has become. You know, when she won that 2017 Australian Open, obviously, you know, she was three years younger anyway, or four years younger. Um, she, her body hadn't been through the pregnancy. But the, I think I come back to this all the time with Serena. You know, the thing she's lost most is this fear factor. She won so many matches just by people walking onto the court thinking they can't beat her. There mm. are 15 players out there who know they can beat Serena now. They might not, but there's enough of them out there that she's going to have to beat, you know, one or two of them by the end at least, and mm. possibly four of them. And I'm not sure she's got that in her anymore. And I think for her to be turning up at a tournament, you know, I hope she's I hope she's 100% right. I hope I'm wrong because I'd love to see her equal Margaret Court in Australia. That would be an absolute dream for everyone associated with tennis, to be honest. Um but I, but I really, really, really think she needs to be 100% to have a chance. And even then, I'm not convinced she can do it now. Am I right in saying that she's she's not a top eight seed? Uh, I was looking at this the other day, but I, I think she's outside. And I know, like, again, usually I wouldn't even talk about Serena Williams' draw because it's largely irrelevant um, because she just monster everyone for the first five matches. But I think given what you've just said... Yeah, I think she's going to be the number 10 seed, which means that she's she's not going to get a particularly good draw, almost guaranteed. You know, she's going to come up against, obviously, seeded players from round three, but, you know, small seeds, single-figure seeds early on in the tournament. The, the one thing I'd say to that is just look at the French Open and tell me that those top eight are going to be getting there, you know. <laughs> it, it, isn't, it isn't as much a guarantee, you know. I think in the men's game, more the minute if you drop out the top eight 
in fact, it's more the top four, to be honest. If one of them drops into number five and yeah. had it swinging around, that, that becomes a, a problem, potentially. Um, but for the women's I game, would... I, I think she'd be all, you know, she, she'll have to beat them anyway, but you, you never yeah. know, let's put it that way. I would say that this, this top eight, uh, famous last words here, this top eight <laughs> in the women's game at the moment, barring two... I have more confidence in them not slipping up. I would. So the two, who's the two? Pliskova is, is one of them, presumably. Yeah, but she does quite well in Australia normally. She's normally yeah, a pretty solid court performance. I don't know which Pliskova is going to turn up. Um, and even though I picked her to win a slam this year, Alina Svitolina. Um, just, just because, yeah. again, you don't quite know which Alina Svitolina is going to turn up. Whereas I think the other six, Barty, Halep, Osaka, Kenin, Sabalenka and Andrescu, form and... Uh, pedigree go on George I'd say, I'd say Sabalenka is still a question mark for me because she hasn't done it at a slam yet yeah you know her form outside of the slams is unbelievable and I you know I actually think she's one of the top two or three favorites to win this slam given how mm. she's playing but I'd equally not be that surprised if she went out in the second round because she's come into many tournaments before where I've thought wow this uh... is Sabalenka's time she's absolutely crushing it and it's just not quite happened. Yeah, she's definitely one who has to believe rather than know that she can do it at this point. Um, Calvin, just coming back to Serena Williams, because you didn't get the chance to, to have your, your two cents, do you, do you think this kind of injury concern is, is big? Or do you actually think that she was already, you know, well down the pecking order in terms of favourites to win the tournament? Yeah, I think she's in the second tier of who you'd pick to win it. I, I don't think she'll win it. I don't think she'll win another um, unless the draw opens up for her in a big way. I found it quite... I always find that she's a bit of a drama queen in terms of stuff like saying she wouldn't have played it if it didn't get put back. Yeah, I'm, I'm certain she was injured. I don't think she'd be lying about that. But if it, she was sort of making out that she wouldn't have been able to practice enough, I'm, I'm not buying that she wouldn't have turned up because it would have meant two weeks less practice. Um, that she'd have had I, I, I think she'd have still been there regardless but I'm, there's too many good there's a lot of good good, good female players now uh, in the draw and I think I, th- I think like yeah she's in the second tier um, yeah I I'm I haven't picked her to win a slam I partly have all of our predictions in front of us for this year and none of us have picked her to win any of the slams which I think is significant because you can't as George says I don't think you can have that that confidence in her anymore. It'd be interesting to hear from people who who do and who have a lot of confidence in her. Give us a give us a tweet at Love Tennis Pod on Twitter, um, or let us know if you're listening live uh, in the comments uh, on Locker Room. Um, let's let's kind of switch over to to the men's side of the draw um, because there's been a little bit of tennis going on, um, and I don't think Cam Norrie was expected to be a big. Uh, figure in the Australian Open this year, but obviously being a British-based podcast, we we have eyes on all the British players, and I think we were all really disappointed to wake up. Or uh, George, I don't know if you stayed up. Um, yeah, no chance. <laughs> you can't keep George Belcher out of bed no matter what. Um, all very disappointed to see him lose to Tommy Paul. I think Tommy Paul at one point was seven to one. Norrie won the first set. Um, and then and then went down in three. George, really disappointing, especially given that Cam had had a pretty good run in Delray Beach to the semi-finals there, and you know felt like he was probably in decent form. He's got a bit of pedigree in Australia. Not a great result, is it? No, I mean 
this is you're just going to get this with Norrie though, aren't you? I mean, at the end of the day, Tommy Paul is ranked higher than him, and we perhaps put this little slight extra weight on Norrie because he's a Brit. But at the end of the day, he's ranked where he is because he loses matches like this. Um, mm-hmm. Any player ranked, I don't know, four to thirty even out to a hundred is capable of winning or losing against any of those players in the first round of any tournament. And, and that's why they're in that ranking. When you start winning, you know, eight or nine out of 10 of those matches, that, that's when you become a top 30 player. It's not, it's not that difficult really to kind of <laughs> quantify. And the reason Norrie is, what is he now? 70 ish. Um, 67. Yeah. 67. Um, he loses too many of these matches and he, he has to learn to win matches when he's, and he's losing too many when he's up now as well. I think that's a big concern for me. Um, but that's I, I like just... him. I think he's got a good head on his shoulders. He works hard and tries and I'm not saying he, he's a tanker or anything, but there've been a few more worrying losses that have come up recently that I don't know. They concern me a bit because I thought he'd push on a little bit further than he has. Yeah. And just to kind of back that up, you know, he broke Tommy Paul for a 6-5 lead in the second set, was serving for the match and then lost nine straight points. He was broken to love and went five love down in a tiebreak and obviously went on to lose the tiebreak and the match. I mean, that that is, that's a that's a collapse. You know, that's a, a 1990s English batting order collapse uh, <laughs> and with all the psychological damage that goes with that. Calvin, bad to see. Yeah, I think just, I don't want to get too much into stats and that kind of thing, but just sort of back up what George said there about, and again, I'll come back to the, like I said, I was on a webinar earlier about um, serving serving stats. And what was interesting was it said that the players in the top 100, to, so to break the top 100 from sort of below 100 to 100, they're, they're winning 70% of their first serves. Um, from, from 100, so to break the top 50, it's 71%. A first serve, so only a one percent increase in those players. Mm. But then to break the top thirty, they're winning seventy-seven percent of their first serves. So it's quite a big jump just in terms of ser- your serve. You've got to you've got to be winning basically an extra six percent of first serve points to break mm. that top one hundred. And I think what that shows is the players like pretty much what George just said. I'm just backing it up there. Is that the guys sort of from thirty to a hundred? There's very very little between them. And a, and a one percent deviation on either of, on how either of the two players play can change that result, and and I don't think there's any real shock between a player ranked even a player ranked sort of thirty seven and ninety four. They're, they're they're so close, those guys. Mm, yeah, but nevertheless, <laughs> dis- disappointing news, and <laughs> we're all feeling really positive. Uh, <clears throat> some other quite poor, well, poor, negative. British results overnight. Uh, Fran Jones, who we're all quite excited about, battled the way through qualifying. Uh, she was beaten quite convincingly by Nadia Podoroska, um, who, as George points out in my notes, uh, is a French Open semi-finalist, so no great shame. I think that was Fran's first ever match against a top 100 player. Uh, certainly a competitive match, because she played Heather Watson in yeah. the Battle of the Brit, but that obviously was a sort of non-counting match. But uh, nevertheless, her first Sorry, George. You can take no, I was just going to say there was quite a funny little chat about this um, when she qualified because it was put to a oh you've only played one top one hundred match. I think it was Mandy Manila, maybe. Um, okay. And 
I think she, that she was but... annoyed because she dropped out of the top 100 just before she played it. So, so Fran thinks she was outside, but the journalist was pretty sure she was inside. I, I, I actually never bothered to check, which is unlikely. But I think but reading Russell there was a bit Fuller's, discrepancy. I think reading Russell Fuller's copy this morning, I think the consensus is she was outside. But anyway, okay, the point anyway. point is she lost. And and actually, the, the thing that jumped out for me because she lost badly. You know, she got three games off her, I think maybe four. Um, the thing that stood out for me was what we talked about earlier, is that Fran Jones qualified for the Aussie Open, played three really good matches of tennis, and then had two weeks in a hotel room. And it's like, this is a whole different kettle of fish for qual. And now she's just, it's kind of shown. I guess at least she's got one, you know, kind of got the cobwebs away a bit. But usually you've got qualifiers coming in on a real high, you know, having played really well, often on the same courts or similar courts to the main tournament, on a, you know, a real high, gives them a chance against someone naturally better than them. She's kind of now not going to have this. Yeah, and what, what I would again say to that is, you know, I'm not someone who's been watching Fran Jones week in, week out for a career, but kind of what we were saying again about players in this ranking, they tend to do well at tournaments when they're feeling it really well for a week. And this was kind of what I was stressing about qualifying, being in a different country and being four weeks apart or whatever, three or four weeks apart, you you know, you're then losing that momentum, that feeling that you're feeling so great about is just completely halted. I, I think that's a hard thing to to pick up and it'll be quite a frustrating experience. But fingers crossed Fran gets a decent little draw um and plays again. I mean it'd be good for her to get the experience of playing a big player on a big court in front of crowds as well. You know, that that's what I imagine a lot of tennis players live for and want to do who haven't been to a slam you know in a way it'd be worse I always think I might be wrong here but it, I think it'd always be worse to be put out on court you know 17 or whatever play the world number 90 and lose in straight sets than it'd be to go out play on Rob Laver lose by the same score line to someone like Serena Williams I mean that would just be a better experience to me yeah I think so and you know I, I remember reading uh, I was doing some pre-Aussie Open stuff last week and I read about uh, when Naomi Osaka got beaten really badly by Vicky Azarenka in 2017 at the Australian Open and she I mean she got absolutely battered I think there was a bagel involved and you know she had beaten someone half decent whose name escapes me a Czech player in the second round uh, number 14 seed and I can't remember who it was anyway so she, you know, she she was kind of being talked up a little bit as this this new thing, and then she got absolutely battered by Azarenka. And she said in her post match, she said, "I'm really glad I lost to Azarenka. I'll get so much out of this." And I think that's exactly what you're talking about, George. You know, for these players, you can lose to world number ninety any week you want. Really, you, you can't always, you know, get in on in the ring, so to speak, with with players like that. So to that point, I mean. Novak Djokovic has won what eight Australian Opens? Yeah, first t- first time he played the Australian Open, plays Marat Sapin, gets three games. Now I- I'm not saying it's the perfect ingredient for um, a great career to go out there and be hammered, but you'd be surprised how many of these big names have gone out there and had their, their bum handed to them against mm. a recognised star, and it actually gives them the thought, you know what? that's the level I need to get to and they work and get yeah. there. So, you know, I, I think there's quite a positive to getting a tough draw when you're in someone like Fran Jones's position where realistically you're not going to win probably more than a match, I would say. That, yeah. Maybe that's a bit harsh, but that, that's how I view her tournament coming up. 
Calvin, you've obviously got a lot more experience than George or I of these things. I imagine when when there is a you know a chance of drawing a big player, there must be a kind of for you as a team, as a coach, and as a player, like a weird double edged sword because you're sitting there going, "Oh, I'd quite like a an easy draw," but also, "Oh, there's so and so, or there's so and so," you know, like an FA Cup draw. Do you, do you want the bigger away tie or do you want the easy draw? Um. The only time I've been involved in a singles uh, with a player, and I wasn't—I was just sort of travelling coach, was when Dave Sherwood played um, Wimbledon in two thousand and five, mm. um, and he got a pretty decent draw. He played a Brazilian lad on an outside court. There was still a big crowd. It was still being the biggest crowd he ever played in front of, and we probably preferred that, if anything, because he won it, and for the rest of his life, he'll get to say he won a round at Wimbledon. Yeah. Um and then he went and played Feliciano Lopez on court one. Um and he lost that. But uh you know, it was competitive. But I, so, so I, the win was the better experience then. Uh, yeah, I think so. But then again I think it's unless you're gonna get Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, I think, or in the women's game, Serena or would have been Sharapova or Osaka now. I think you most players would prefer to get the win. Apart from anything else, it's twice the prize money. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that, no, no. That, is, that is the other big. So, but uh, yeah, I'd always personally, I'd always prefer to have a win. I'm I'm com- very competitive, so I'd prefer to get whoever I, you know, whoever I think I've got a better chance of beating. Yeah. Um, and you, the players, I guess as well, the players of the mentality, they're the they're professional athletes. They they never think this will be the last time. They mm. always think they're going to get there again and they'll have another chance. Um, mm. But the, the, the flip side of that is someone like Alex Bogdanovich, who got this terrible sort of name for always losing first round at Wimbledon, and he had some <laughs> absolute stinking draws. I think he played Nadal like three times, Federer once, James Blake once. So yeah, he's got some great experiences, and everyone's slated for never winning a match. So. <laughs> oh dear, yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, let's move on. Um, George has, has insisted that we we check in with. Uh, our young guns. You may remember if you were listening a couple of weeks ago, um, we've all picked uh, a young male and a young female player uh, to have a big year. Um, it, we're going to basically look at the end of the year as how they've improved their rankings by percentage. Uh, the reason George is so keen to talk about this is because he picked uh, Lise Lorenzo Mazzetti, uh, who got to the final in Turkey. Is that not right, George? No, the reason is I, I just think it's important we look at the competition every week. Particularly when I'm winning. <laughs> <laughs> right, OK. Uh, do you know how many um, points, uh, places he's gone up in the ranking? It, it, it didn't go up that, as many as I was hoping, to be honest. I think it was about okay. seven. I checked yeah. earlier. So right. up seven. But but my point of why I picked him in the first place was because he's going to have big form on clay this year. So to be getting to a challenger final, losing to Jaume Munar, who, as we all know, is a solid clay court player. Yeah, um, who I think has probably been to the third of the French Open or something like that, and I expect him to be someone who we'll see in the quarterfinals there at least in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 bodes well for my boy Musetti smashing good, it on the clay next good. year. So, so you happy. think you think of the three of us, you've had the best week uh, for your young player. I, I think Corder's off to a good start this year, isn't he? So Ashley Corder has just won his second ATP Challenger title in France. You're absolutely yeah. right. Uh, I mean, I, I, the field strength wasn't great. 
he was the number two seed. He lost two games in the final. Um, he, he he basically smashed everyone in sight. Although he did drop a set in the second round. So let's let's not let's not do the Cholange Kimpi uh, where he's playing again this week because they've got two tournaments in a row, and I fully expect him to rack up another one. I thought you were a bit keen to let me talk about this. I knew there must be some sort of caveat. <laughs> well, also, because um, Clara Burrell, who's, who's my pick, the uh, the French girl, she played yesterday against Camille Georgie. Uh, and actually, to be fair, I gave her a really good go for a set, but she did lose in straight sets. Um, but, you know, Georgie's a, a level well above her. And I was actually really impressed again. Like, she she hung tough and really got a piece. She actually got a real piece of Georgie's serve, which I know isn't... You know, it's not the biggest serve in the world, but she she definitely um got a piece of it. Uh, Calvin, you'll have you'll have been enjoying watching Yannick Sitter playing an exhibition. Um, yeah, I didn't see much of him. Just on that tournament there on in uh, Quimpe, um, yeah. I've got a bit of again. I'm sort of complaining again here. I've got an issue with that as well. It's <laughs> no. a it's a challenger tournament, and they're only allowing players from the EU to play in it. Again, I understand why. Healthy well, issues called, aside, called it, so how's Calder got in? Because he's he's from the US. So I think he might. Have they got I'm an sure, exemption? In? Yeah, maybe something like that. I know some of the Brit- British lads were. They got, they did not let the British lads in. No, they, they apparently was the, the the word was EU only because um, there's been quite a bit of talk with British coaches this week about that. Um, but regardless, of what it is, I I I get why, and again, from a health point of view, totally get it. But I, I I have a major problem with them caught with with them just sort of keeping these as challenger tournaments because you're only having two thirds of the field in. Mm. Have you have you seen what's popped up, James? We've had a speaker request again. It went so well last time. Do you want to go for it? Oh yeah, from far away. Who's who's trying to come in? So this we've got Casey Shapiro. Casey, okay. what have, what have you got to say? Just, no pressure, Casey. But the last person we invited to do this didn't say anything and dropped off the course. <laughs> no pressure. Just wanted to say what's up. Hey, Casey. How are you doing? Doing pretty great. I'm a big tennis fan, you know. Who, who do you, you like? like? <laughs> yeah, who's your guy? Who's your, like, Nadal, who's your main Loki. tennis guy? Okay, fair enough. You, Nadal. Um, I've been talking about Sebastian Corda for at least a month now. Uh, he, is he a big deal in the States? He's someone you, you're excited about to have a, a homegrown talent? Yeah. He's, he's got the best backhand. I saw someone the other day, Calvin, you might be able to uh, comment on this. Someone was trying to say Sebastian Corda's got the best backhand of any American player ever, which for a guy who, who's yet to crack the top 100 was quite bold, but I don't know if you can think of many other, many other backhands. Um, not for America, no. They're renowned for having terrible backhands. If if you go through them, um, sort of all the big names recently, it's bizarre how American players have pretty bad backhands. Um, So, like, you go right from Roddick, by far his worst shot. At the same time, you had kind of Marty Fish, Robbie Gennepri, um, those guys, and now um, Isner, not a great backhand. Sam Queries is not bad. To be fair, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it, it's it's, it's, it's been very strange. Like sort of Ag- from Agassi, who had a phenomenal backhand, probably the best two-handed backhand I've ever seen, along with um, Djokovic, I guess, and Andy Murray, who's got a great one. Um, mm. But yeah, Americans just just bizarre. They tend to just have 
pretty bad backhands. Mm. Well, Sebastian Corda's not one of them, so that's good. So, um, yeah, he, he, he uh, may have. His, his dad had a phenomenal backhand, I know that much. <laughs> uh, Yannick Sinner hitting in the exhibition up in Adelaide. I did actually watch Anastasia Potapova this morning, um, okay. who was in with Simona Halep, uh, who, to be fair, and I don't like saying this because George has picked her to win the Australian Open, Simona Halep was hitting a very good ball this morning. And Potapova, again, Potapova kind of hung with her. But then, you know, at 4-5 in the first set, Hallett just, just started hitting the baseline with every shot. And it's like, well, this is... Yeah, I know. It's so frustrating, George. I can't believe she's hitting form at the right time. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it it makes me look at Barty, who's my pick, and think, oh, really? But, I'm, I'm sort of... I, I picked Potipova, didn't I, as my female yeah, young player. I'm getting a bit concerned because... She's always right coming through juniors. She was she was always sort of very friendly with um, a girl called Sophia Zouk and um, Anna Kalinskaya, who played Katie Bolter last night. Yeah. And Sophia Zouk quit tennis last year. Um, and <laughs> Anna Kalinskaya last night looked like she was on the verge of quitting tennis. <laughs> so so, so, so <laughs> that, that sort of tri- that tripod of, um, of of Russian players, uh, it's, it's not going great. Oh, yeah. That would be very, very funny if the player you picked to be the biggest rise and to quit, just quit the sport by the end of yeah. the year. <laughs> yeah, the, the Midas. Uh, George, what, have you got any update on Layla Fernandez? Who I know has been. I mean, I think you've had Layla Fernandez fever for a while, like longer than just the last couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, I'm a fan. Um, she she's got a pretty big start um, to the season against Sloane Stevens. Um, she's she's one of the players who's in quarantine. The 72, so not ideal, but she's coming out and taking on Sloane Stevens, who, as we all know, is uh, very susceptible to a first round loss. So that, that should be a pretty good match. And then if she wins, she'll play fellow Canadian Bianca Andreescu, which should be a match I'll be really up for. Um, Crikey, that's you know, an absolute stinker of a draw, isn't it? It is <laughs> a stinker, but you know. Fernandez is up for it. I'm backing her. I'm backing her to beat Stevens. I'm calling it right now. We can, we can enjoy this when she loses one and love. Um, <laughs> before this podcast even comes out, <laughs> I know they don't play until like Wednesday, I think. So oh, okay. it's pretty people lucky. have forgotten. All good. Uh, yeah, well, uh, there is so much tennis to watch at the moment. Um, it's all on Amazon Prime or Eurosport. I think all the women's stuff is on Amazon Prime um, or Prime Video, as they insist on making me call it. Uh, not that they pay me to say it. I just, you know, <laughs> they try. Um, Here we go on the payroll. It's all coming out. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. And uh, the men's is all on, on Eurosport and Eurosport player, um, which, is, I mean, this is the great thing. I, I kind of, without wanting not well, I want to get too off topic, um, I've been quite frustrated by the Premier League kind of move to get more online broadcasters involved in broadcasting the Premier League, because quite frankly, most people don't have the broadband capacity to kind of do a live streaming of sport for two hours at HD quality without some sort of interruption. But the great thing about having the tennis, you know, a, all the matches are televised in some form, and B, you can like access the replays and rewind and stuff. Especially with the overnight stuff, you know. I woke up this morning, watched Hallett live for a bit, and then went and picked up a couple of. I wanted to see what happened to Katie McAnally, so I went and watched a few points from that. And you can skip through Katie McAnally, by the way, got actually battered. Um, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> Why were you going back to see it? I, I see... wanted to see, like, because you know, you sometimes look at a scoreline and it's like. You know they lose one and four, and you just you just have a feeling that it wasn't really a one and four match. Uh, it, it was, <laughs> it was <laughs> like 
<laughs> it was very one-sided. Uh, but anyway, it's nice to be able to do that, and I, I would definitely recommend anyone who's got free time, which hopefully a lot of people have got at the moment, um, maybe not for much longer, but who knows. Um, I think we've already gone over our, our time, um, which is kind of fitting, given that there are 388 matches going on this week. Um, has anyone got any other business, George, you, you always do? I think we just wanted to do a quick ATP Cup prediction, was what I was going to say. And okay. then you were going to mention oh, the yeah. other prediction game. So the double prediction thing. action. But I, I think the ATP Cup, quick defence. I think there's three teams, to me, who are likely to win it. And I thought we could take one of them each and say why they're going to win it. I'm happy <laughs> to go last because I can make a case for any of them. But it, oh, also, if you have a suggestions outside the three, but go for it. Uh uh, Calvin, I'll defer to you. Uh, I, I mean, Serbia is the obvious pick. I feel like you're going to take Serbia. Is that is that unreasonable? Um, I, I'm not. I'll take Russia actually. Um, yeah, I'll take Russia. I think they've got they've got a set doubles pair, and they've got three very very good singles. They got well, they got two players in the top ten. Mm. Uh, have any of the other countries got two in the top ten? No, George? They're, the own, no. they're the only yeah. competing team with two top ten players. Yeah, and the set doubles pair. I, I fancy they'll win something big, either this or a Davis Cup in the next couple of years. Mm. And they've That's got a what I wanted. <laughs> they, they've got a playing captain. Yevgeny Donskoy is their their doubles player and also their captain. But he's okay. not the father of anyone on the team, which pretty much puts him in the minority in this particular ATP <laughs> Cup because all the dads are out there. Is Hatchinov not playing there? Does he not qualify? No, he's not ranked high enough because Medvedev. Okay, I wonder whether they got in on doubles. Whether he got in on doubles? No, they've got um, Aslan Karatsev and and Donskoy. Okay, Um, there you go. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I, that kind of defaults to me to pick Serbia um, because they've got a bit of a shocker of a group uh, because they've got Germany and Canada, who you know Felix Algarelli team can't get into the Canadian team. Um, although he, he could have got in on doubles actually but he didn't want to um, according to his agent um, so they've got Diaz and Polanski who I mean Polanski is a proper doubles player isn't he I don't know Steven Diaz necessarily um, but I think he has played a bit of Davis Cup for them so I think Serbia will get through the group without too many problems with Djokovic is basically a guaranteed point um, and they've got Victor Troiki as their captain who was a decent doubles player so I imagine that they know what they're doing with doubles. Uh, and Dusan Lejevic, my, my favourite ever singles player. <laughs> the, the, the classic first-round opponent for anyone half-decent. Although he's not... And then he, you know, ever since I said that, ever since I said, oh, he'll get someone easy in the first round like Dusan Lejevic, he's then gone on to have like the best 15 months of tennis of his life. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't know who I'll curse this year, but I'm really excited to see who it is. George, who are you going to pick in the absence of being able to take Serbia or Russia? I'm going to take Spain, funnily enough. Uh, mm. Champions of the Davis Cup, runner-up of the ATP Cup last year. Um, and, you know, if I'm looking how it's going to come down to it, Nadal, I think, probably is going to be losing to Novak on a hard court. Probably going to be losing to Medvedev, although possible to win. But I fancy Bautista Agu. Even against Rublev, I fancy him to be winning. I think he's really? the strongest. I think he's the strongest second player, in my opinion. Um, and it, just in terms of the most solid, I, f- I still feel Rublev can have an off day. I think Batista Agu will come out and give you a solid seven out of ten performance every time. Um, mm. And then Nadal, 
turns up for the doubles, normally plays pretty well in the big matches. Yeah, I think he's a really good doubles player. I just think, well, I think any of them could win, but I'm happy to take Spain, let's put it that way. I'm especially confident now I've been forced to take them. So, presumably they'll play Nadal and, is it is Granoyes is, is a bit of a double specialist, isn't he? Um, I, I can't think remember who the other doubles players were. Their, their three and four are Karenia Busta and Granoyes. Karenia Busta did play I doubles. In he the did play Karenia Busta, yeah, yeah, he has played with Karenia Busta before as well. Mm, okay, well, interesting to see those doubles matchups. That, of course, kicks off uh, tonight if you're listening live or, or yesterday if you're not. Um, with Dusan Lejevic against Milos Rajanic and Denis Novak against Fabio Fanini in Austria. Italy, Austria, I'm afraid, are a bit goosed because they have Dominic Team and then nothing else. Uh, <laughs> with the greatest of respect to Denis Novak, he is just inside the world top 100 and I haven't heard of either of their doubles players. I don't know. If, if any of you can tell me anything about Philip Asphalt or Tristan Samuel Weisborn, I'll be very impressed. Uh, in I fact, can tell I... you they've I was going to say, I can tell you they've got the wrong Novak. That's all I'd say. <laughs> yeah, OK. Um, well, just finally, there's, there's just enough time for me to tell you about um, our tennis uh, prediction game that we're starting uh, over the course of the next seven days. For each of the Grand Slams, basically, you're going to be able to pick four players um, in four different categories uh, in each of the draws. So four men and four women. Uh, a qualifier, an unseeded player, a seed and then a top four. Um, so you might pick, I don't know, Novak Djokovic, Dan Evans, Cam Norrie and someone who qualified, Bernard Tomic. Um, I'm not suggesting that would be a good team. Uh, and you then get points for how far they go through the tournament. It's a weighted point system, which I'll post on Twitter. Um, basically means that each of the players should be about equally valuable um, and you get bonus points for wins in the second week. Uh, but yeah, I'll post all the details on. I'm going to put a Google form up. So you can enter, play along with me and George and Calvin, humiliate us. Um, we're not going to open it until the draw comes out because you'll want to have a look at the draw for, for some of the lower-ranked players. Uh, but yeah, it should be a bit of fun. Um, by the time we get to Monday's pod next week, half of our teams will have already been eliminated, probably. <laughs> uh, so, so that'll provide some entertainment. Uh, but yeah, do do have a go, get in touch. Um, if you follow one of us on Twitter, you'll see it. Otherwise, follow at Love Tennis Pod. We'll put it on there as well. But you should be able to find it. Um, and I think all that remains for me to say is good night. If you're not listening live, uh, please do leave us a rating on the podcast. Just a nice one, please. And we'll catch you next week. Cheers, guys. See you later, lads. Bye bye. Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.